Is Sarah's place? What is? Just our lives. That's the name of the show of our lives. It's Sarah's place, and I'm like a recurring character that just shows up and is like, "Hey!" And I'm a hit. Like everyone loves me. Right. You're like Larry when you walk in. Everyone goes, "Wow!" Yeah. Oh yeah. It's a big. And I mean Larry from Three's Company. Yeah. Not Larry, Not Larry my or... ex-boyfriend. <laughs> exactly. Hiya. I'm Jerry Kramer. I'm a trans woman, and my pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Sarah Kramer. I'm a cis woman, and my pronouns are also she, her. Welcome to Meet the Kramers. How are you? Me? I'm great. I'm tired again. You know why? Bike rides. Yeah, we went on a really long bike ride. We rode from our house to Whole Foods and back on our rad power bikes, which are, what do you call them? They're electric bikes? Pedal assist. Pedal assist electric bikes. I thought my battery was pretty charged, but actually it wasn't as charged as I thought. And so when we were about three quarters of the way home, I realized I had very little power in my bike. So I had to ride at a low speed to try and conserve energy. And I used a lot of muscles and blood and sweat and tears, <laughs> but I made it home. But holy shit, am I ever tired today? I feel, I feel hungover. Because we love those bikes, but when they are not pedal assisting, they are heavy. They're like 65 pounds. Yeah. And it's been like pretty eventful week as well because we also got vaccinated. And our first shots. I loved how organized the center was where they did all the shots. It was I, like... I appreciate it. Very little waiting. We had an appointment time. And then there was two different aisles of people doing uh, shots. And you went into one aisle and I went into the other aisle. And we both got different vaccines. I got the Moderna and you got the Pfizer. Which is pretty exciting. Yeah. And I was a little nervous about it because I'm always the person who has reactions to stuff. It's like one in 10,000 people has a reaction. It's usually me. But I, I, I was fine. I mean, I had a little bit of a sore arm, but I did some physio from a video that I saw on YouTube about waving your arm around and then my arm actually wasn't that sore. And I had low-grade nausea for a couple days and uh, I was just kind of out of it and tired, but not really sick, which was great. And we also had a salad from our garden because I uh, grow vegetables. So I've been growing spinach and um, lettuce and we, ha we had a really nice salad. And it was from our garden. It feels so, I feel like a, I'm a farmer. <laughs> <laughs> So this episode is our Letters to the Kramers episode where we ask you, our beloved listener, to send in some questions. And um, this time, we've done it before, but this time we said, ask us anything, that there were just no questions off limits. Do you want to just jump in or do you want to, what do you want to do? Yeah, we can just jump right in. We got a nice little note on our Instagram, at Meet the Kramers. And it says, just finished listening to episode nine. I feel like I need to share that I got tattooed by Jerry just before she came out, but after her septum piercing. I remember showing up to my appointment with my friend and we both turned to each other and said, dang, Jerry looks good today. You had this beautiful navy tunic on with these amazing shoes and your freshly curled hair. And it made so much sense reading the coming out letter the next day. I felt such an uplifting excitement seeing you the day before. You looked lighter, if that's the right expression. I felt such relief for you, even though I barely know you. I'm so glad you guys are doing the podcast. I hope it never ends. Me too. <laughs> so sweet. It's really sweet. So one of the questions, other questions, well, we have a lot of questions. I think we have 20 questions. <gasps> we, I think we do. It's 20 questions. We should call it 20 questions 20 with questions the Kramers. 20 questions with the Kramers. Uh, the first question is, how did you both realize that you were bi? Do you want to go first? Go ahead. I realized I was bi when I was in high school and I cheated on my girlfriend with a boy. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> 
I don't know when I realized I was bi, but I do know in high school I was madly in love with this girl that I was hanging out with. I was also madly in love with a boy. So it was a very confusing time. (laughs) (laughs) And people would say, are you gay? And I would say, uh, I'm an equal opportunity lover, which is what I've been saying for, for years because I couldn't really explain what it was that I was feeling. I just, if I liked you, I liked you and the genitals didn't really matter. So I don't know when I really realized that. Maybe it was this year. (laughs) (laughs) But I've really only ever had relationships, like long-term relationships with men. Or so I thought. (laughs) Until you came out. I think your relationships with men are actually pretty short-term when you look at them. That is true. Compared to your relationships with women. That is true. Mm -hmm. Next question is, how did Jerry choose her name? I didn't. My mom did. When I was born... They decided to name me after my grandmothers. My dad's mom was named Geraldine, and my mom's mom was named Bertha. And they combined the two names and then gave me like a masculinized version, Gerald Burton, which I hated. Hated so much. I hated it my whole life. Why did they name me this? Why is my stupid name Gerald Burton? Even the shortened version, Jerry, I hated. I I've always hated my name so much. When I decided to come out and it was time to change my name, I know I was running a bunch by you and they were all pretty basic. They were just kind of Disney princess yeah. names like Anastasia. <laughs> and like plot twist, so was Jamie, which, <gasps> which would have been really weird. Uh, in the end, I realized as I came into myself that I quite loved my name. I just felt so comfortable. I'm like, I'll just keep it, which is nice because now I don't really have to worry about people dead naming me because my dead name is also my new name. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I changed the spelling and I changed my middle name to Beth, which is, I think, a cuter, shorter version of Bertha because I am not <laughs> carrying that name for my life. Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. No offense to Bertha's out Sorry. there. Sorry, Bertha's. Like, I love them. I love my name now. Jerry Beth, like it's so cute. Whose gingham skirt is that? It's Jerry Beth's. <laughs> Speaking of names, the next question is, why did Jerry take Sarah's last name? Does everyone know that? No. Well. I was born Sarah Kramer. And then when we got married, you became Jerry Kramer. I did. I dumped my last name, which was Anderson. I never loved it. It didn't fit. And Jerry Kramer sounded so rock and roll. Or like a Jewish grandpa. No, no. It sounded <laughs> rock and roll to me. And when I when it, when the opportunity presented, I was just like, this is so perfect. This name sounds so rock and roll. I also really loved that Gerald, Burton, and Kramer all had six letters. I got over it because now I'm doing 446 instead of 666. It's okay. <laughs> I never knew that. That is so funny. <laughs> I, I, think, I can just see you laying in bed being like, there's this tiny letters and there's this many letters. <laughs> the 446 part was actually one of the hardest <laughs> parts of changing my name because I wasn't <laughs> sure if I could handle it. Oh, my God, too. I loved, I loved the 6, 6, and 6. It was just such a perfect, 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 perfect. Do you remember when, we, so we eloped to Las Vegas and do you remember what the, when we went to the, was it the city hall or the clerk's office or yep. whatever to get all our paperwork done? And you said to the clerk that you were going to take my last name. Do you yes. remember what she said? I think she said that I couldn't do it in Las Vegas. Like I couldn't do it in Nevada because of the patriarchy. Yeah. She said, we don't do that here because of the patriarchy. Right. <laughs> but then when we came home after um, we eloped, we came home and we went to Vital Statistics to change your last name. We were ready for a fight. We were ready for a fight. Like we were just like all bristled up and we were just like, okay, we're going to say this and we're going to say this. Yeah. And then we walked in. And, and we went in and like my chin up, like I'm taking her last name. And they're like, sure, just sign here. Oh, $20. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I got a little let down. I really wanted to have a fight. I'm happy we don't have to. I because mean, it, we, what a, we're Canadian. It's just, we are civilized. Next question is, does Jerry feel like she's found her style in regards to clothing or are you still growing into it? I don't know. Probably not. I mean, I feel like 
Well, listen, it's been the pandemic. And so we haven't really been able to go shopping, shopping like we normally would. Having to buy a whole brand new wardrobe for someone is really expensive. So we had to buy brand new socks. We had to buy brand new underwear. We had to start buying bras. And then all the things that go along with all of that, plus a whole new wardrobe, and you don't know what your style is. So we've been shopping kind of cheap, like at winners and stuff, just until we kind of figure out what it is, what your vibe is. Right. I'm I'm going with just hot goth mom. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who are you the mother of? <laughs> I don't know, but I just feel like that's the vibe. I don't need to be a mom to look like a mom. And goth mom, that's a special kind of mom. And when you say it, everyone knows who you are. Yeah. Everyone knows who I'm talking about. The other thing too is, is that you work at a tattoo shop and you drop ink on yourself all the time. So you have your tattoo clothes and then you have stuff in your closet that you can't wear at the tattoo shop. But because it's the pandemic, you don't wear them because we don't right. go anywhere. Right. But eventually we're going to be able to go places and that part of your closet that has all those nice clothes, we're going to be able, you're going to be able to wear them. Oh, you know what we should talk about is the Mimi Collective, M-E-M-I collective.com. And they make beautiful, beautiful clothing with all kinds of, like, I think most of their clothes are bamboo. Yeah. But the cool thing about it is that Megan, um, the designer, is uh, quite a tall woman. At least she's tall to me at five foot two. Um, and so I feel like the Mimi Collective stuff is actually longer than the average stuff that you find in the store. Like when you bought a t-shirt from there, it was actually like a lot of women's t-shirts are too short for you because you're 6'3". But when you bought a t-shirt from there, it was like the perfect length. All the tunics are the perfect length for you. And everything I buy from there is like super awesome. This is not a commercial. No, not at all. This is I, not a sponsored ad. We just love their... I fucking love their stuff. Yeah. And it all, it all fits beautifully and they have pockets in everything. If a dress doesn't have a pocket, sometimes I just won't buy it. <laughs> And their Instagram is at Mimi underscore collective. Next question is, has Jerry done any of Sarah's tattoos? Yes, I've done a lot of them. There is a map of my career on your body. I think my lower back tattoo is one of the first tattoos you ever did. That's true. My whole body is just like... There's a lot of them at different years of my career. And most of them look pretty good. Stylistically, I'm not in love with a lot of them because I've grown. Sometimes when we're laying in bed, I just see you staring (laughs) at my tattoo and I can just see your little wheels turning. And I know you're thinking like, why did I do it like that? What was I thinking? (laughs) Because the problem with tattoos is that they last forever. And the problem with tattooing your partner early in your career is that you have to live with those tattoos forever. And they're always there. And it's a really great way to stay humble, but it's also like pretty stressful to always see. Are you looking at them right now? right now. (laughs) Don't look at me. Eyes on your own page. I can't help it. (laughs) Well, the next question is, has Sarah done any of Jerry's tattoos? And the answer is yes. On our 13th wedding anniversary, I did a tattoo on you of a little heart with a number 13. And we did it because it was our 13th wedding anniversary. I don't know if it was 2013. It was a lot of 13s. It was was our 13th wedding anniversary, and we did it on Friday the 13th, which was 13 days before our anniversary. Right. And so I did a little heart with a 13, and then you did a little matching porcupine. So we both have matching porcupines on our knee with little hearts. Yeah. Let's say 13. And it's pretty bad, but it's not too bad. I mean, I got the ink in there. I've done worse. (laughs) And then the second tattoo I've done on you was, was it like maybe two summers ago, you, me, and our friend Jen, we all got matching tattoos and I did a little eyeball on your leg. Yeah. And I have to say, it's pretty fantastic. It's really nice. Because I had a really great teacher. Oh, that's sweet. You are a really great teacher. And I don't know if people know that about you, but you are an excellent teacher. I I have two thoughts about being called an excellent teacher because on the one hand, I'm really proud I have learned to communicate effectively to people and to sort of pass knowledge down like that. But on the other hand, you know, that's that thing, like those that can't do teach. That's Jamie. I know. Get out of here. (laughs) Jamie's not allowed on the podcast. Get him out of here. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Are you serious with this shit? Sometimes. 
times. No, dude. You're so a bad. really good teacher. Yeah. You're an excellent mentor. I know. The funny thing was when I was doing that tattoo, I was it was going really well. The lines were going in. And I think it was the first time I, I had done color. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, this is easy. I mean, it's not easy, but it was easier than I thought it was. <laughs> Then Jen was like, what time is it? And I realized that I had been tattooing you for an hour and yeah. it felt like two minutes. Um, and the tattoo is like the size of a toonie. Like it's yeah, it's, super a, small. it's about a 10 minute tattoo. <laughs> yeah, but it took me an hour. It was a really fun night and I love getting, I just love getting matching tattoos with you. And we actually, we just got matching tattoos yeah, we last did. week. Was it last week? A couple weeks a ago. A couple weeks ago. We we surprised um, one of our coworkers, Angie, is moving back east. We're so sad that she's leaving, but we understand because she wants to be closer to family. She's worked for us for how long? Uh, like three, uh, three, three years. years. Yeah, and we've never been tattooed by her. So I made a secret appointment in the book. Who, who were the names? Susan and... Susan and Nellie. I made a fake appointment for Susan and Nellie. And then I actually just put my phone number in there because I knew she would never call it. Uh, We picked something out of her flash page, these two cute little pairs. And then in the notes for the... (laughs) for the appointment, I said, this is Nellie's first tattoo. She's very nervous. Anyway, we went in and we surprised her and we're like, we're Nellie and Susan. She's like, ha ha. Yeah, I don't know where they are. They're late. And I'm like, no, we're Nellie and Susan. And then she burst into tears. It was so great. It was so great. And it was really lovely to just spend some time with her because this last year we haven't been able to because we've been separated from from the other half of the shop. It was such a fun little little moment just like being in the shop and like not working but getting tattooed and just kind of hanging out and laughing and just being like goofballs it was it was great it was yeah. a great time i i just i just love making angie cry <laughs> but not in a mean way but only in a happy way i just i love it it's so easy and i love to do it <laughs> she's a sweetheart so let's read a letter that we got it's like a question it's a question but it's kind of a letter Something I've been noticing is how different my place in the world is now that I'm perceived as male, especially in the healthcare system. So many doctors and nurses have watched me take my shirt off in recent appointments because they view me as male, whereas before they would leave the room. Could you share on your experiences of how your place in the world has changed as as you've transitioned? I forget I'm trans quite often and every once in a while I notice a change in how I'm treated as to how it was before I transitioned. It always catches me off guard. I'm sure I have experiences of how my where my place in the world has changed. There's like I have some older male friends who were like close, but we're not super close. I've found will often share a lot more emotional material with me in a way that men don't talk to other men. Right. Before you were talking about motorcycles and beer, and then now they're sharing their feelings. Their feelings. Yeah. I found it surprising because for me, I don't. I don't feel like a lot has changed, but for them, obviously it has. And it's, there's definitely a lot of affirmation in that because being treated, being treated like a woman just makes me feel it's, it's, there's a lot of euphoria in it, but, but a lot of the things about, about being trans, the things that I would notice, I don't think I do notice because of how I grew up and because of how I came up and, you know, being so involved in punk rock as a teenager and as a young adult and dressing like a weirdo. Dressing like a weirdo, getting being heavily tattooed as soon as I turned 18. I've always been like eyeballed wherever I went. So I don't, I don't, I turned that off a long time ago. Like I don't notice when people notice. Yeah, because sometimes when we go for a walk, like we went, we were downtown the other day, we were walking and um, I just noticed people looking at us and I was, I just kind of got puffed up and I was just like, is this because Jerry's trans? And I was like, oh no, wait, this has always happened to us. Like, as soon as the weather is nice and we're wearing short sleeve shirts, people always stare at us, but we're so um, immune to it because it's it's been happening my whole our whole lives. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's one of those things that I I feel like I don't totally notice, but there's it's very in. I do know when I do notice it, it's always like a very it's a very subtle subtle thing. I was talking to a, like a female friend of mine. She talked to me about a couple cosmetic surgeries that she had done. And it was like also a super affirming moment because it's just like, uh, this is not the stuff that you talk to with boys. It's just really nice to to like, sure, people are using the right pronouns and sure people are like, like Jamie would say, like, sure, people are playing along. 
the reality is people get it and they they are treating me different and I am feeling it and I am seeing it. And you have we haven't had to really um really navigate the healthcare system too much right lately because COVID and, and um all of your stuff has been over Zoom and you haven't had to have like a physical or anything like that yet. Yeah, and also all my interactions with the healthcare system have been pretty decent. That person who wrote the letter says that they sometimes um, forget that they're trans. Do you feel like that? No, I'm really fucking into it. Like, I <laughs> I don't want to forget. I just, I'm so happy to be trans. It's so special to me. God, I hope I don't forget it. I think it's natural. And I'm, I'm not comparing my cancer journey to being trans, but I do know that I went to the museum to see the Terry Fox exhibit. And I was, you know, wandering through the exhibit and reading about him and watching video and just marveling at how this young man was so incredible at such a young age. He had such an interesting point of view. I remember getting kind of weepy when I got to the part where he had passed away and I was watching his parents talk about him in this video. And I was like, God, this, this whole thing is like so emotional. I don't know why I'm so caught up in this. And then I was like, oh, bitch, you had cancer. <laughs> I had forgotten that I had had right. cancer. And so I think it, that was probably like five years after my diagnosis. You just, I think you just settle in. I it think just, you'll probably just settle in. It just turns day to day. Yeah. Yeah. But that's okay. That's okay too. I think the great part about it is that you're being really conscious of it now so that you, you're savoring every moment. And a lot of times you would normally just kind of barrel through and then not really remember what happened. Yeah, that's how I feel about my coming out. The whole, okay, I'm trans, let's get it done. Yeah. Up until that moment, I was barreling through. And then as soon as I came out, I was like, all right, and now it's just chill. Like, let's just wait and see. And it's kind of nice. I think that it, it may come around that I do kind of forget every so often that I'm trans, but I hope that when I remember, it makes me happy still. I just love being trans. Next question is, tell us more about Walter. Does he have any unique needs? You're going to have to do this whole thing because he has a lot of unique needs, but they're all yours. <laughs> He's very fixated on me, but that's what chihuahuas do. They usually fixate on one perp one person. So Walter came from a hoarding situation. He was saved by the SBCA. Um, there was like 42 other dogs at a quote unquote breeders. He was skin and bones. And um, we went to go visit with him and he just climbed into my lap. And I was like, I guess we have a dog. Uh, he was really shut down when we got him. He was just like uh, curled up in a little ball and didn't seem to enjoy anything or didn't understand pleasure or he didn't know how to walk up the stairs. He would just stand there and look at me. Maybe it was because he was so weak. I don't think he had been on a leash because he didn't really know what to do on no, a leash. No, the first time I took him out because you were sick. That's right. The first time I took him out and he was like shaking his head and just like, what is this? And we, he would walk with his tail like wrapped underneath his body. He, yeah, he was, he was almost like, I just, he was almost robotic. Uh, I had a friend of mine who was like, after one year, he's going to come out of his shell. And it didn't actually take him that long. But I feel like every year he just gets a little bit more confident yeah. and a little bit more himself. Pretty much doubled his weight, like pretty quick. Yeah. To the point where the vet was like, he's good now. Yeah. <laughs> you need to pull back a little of the food. Uh, he's a little fixated on food. No, he's a lot fixated on food. Really. Definitely, definitely food motivated. And because he came from that hoarding situation, he doesn't seem to like anybody. And I don't know if it's because he's a chihuahua or if it's just, he was just really, I think he was pretty beat up on. Um, like you, when we first got him, you couldn't touch his tail. He would flip out and try and um, like snap at you. Now I can touch his tail. Well, he can't bite me. He doesn't have any teeth anymore. But he doesn't seem to mind when you grab his tail as much. No, but sometimes if you touch his backside, he will whip around and give you the eye. You know yeah. that like that one. He's got one. quite a stink eye. He's got sure. quite a stink eye. And then the bummer part about the pandemic is that when we moved to our new place, which has a backyard, I, we were starting to socialize him. I met a neighbor down the street who had some chihuahuas and I was like, please come over and help me socialize this dog. We'd had a couple play dates and things were kind of getting better. And then the pandemic hit. So we we actually can't we can't socialize him with anybody. The main thing with him, because he's so small. And he is still quite fragile. Like if I put on a clothing that has an arm and you kind of have to like get his little arm inside the shirt, um, I've hurt his shoulder a couple of times. So he is pretty fragile. I feel like my job is to protect him from bigger dogs because uh, I feel like his neck could be snapped quite easily. So we can't take him to a dog park 
And if we do find another dog for him to play with, I feel like they can't be any more than five or six pounds because he's only four pounds. Four fragile little pounds. Four fragile little pounds. He is very into his routine. At 5.45, his whole body will start shaking and he'll start fussing and like making weird little chirpy noises. And then I look at the clock and I'm like, oh, he wants his dinner. And also the same thing about like when we get into bed, I'll put him in the bed. I get in the bed. I lift up the covers. He lays along my thigh in a certain way. (laughs) He licks my thigh for 10 minutes and then he settles down. Like we just, we have a routine. It's so cute. The only bummer about Walter is that he doesn't know how to play. Every once in a while, he'll get zoomies in the backyard and I get so excited and then it's over. (laughs) Like it just, it never, he doesn't play fetch. He doesn't know what to do with stuffed animals. He just doesn't seem to derive any joy from playing. But when the zoomies happen, it's it's always so special. Well, that's the end of our show. We've been talking for two hours about my dog. So long story short, what I want to say is please don't buy a dog from a breeder because even... There are so many dogs in the world who need to be rescued. Adopt, don't shop. That's what Walter wants you to know. Next question is, what would you tell your younger selves? Oh, this is the this is the RuPaul, the drag race. Yeah. What would you tell this young... What would you young, tell little Jerry? What would you tell little Jerry? What would I tell little Jerry? I think I would say, dude, you're a girl. Just like, just do it. It's not weird. Like, you don't have to pretend to be a boy. That path looks like it's the easy choice, but it is so much harder. It's not worth it. You you can do it. You're strong enough and everybody loves you. You're going to be fine. That's so sweet. I mean, that's sweet. That's so sweet. Yeah. Mine would be, listen, little Sarah, those little coping mechanisms that you came up with to survive your childhood do not work for you as an adult. When you become an adult, feel free to let them go. Also, go to therapy. It helps a lot. And also make sure you go to Club Agogo on August 3rd, 1994, because that's where you're going to meet your wife. <laughs> What's with me in numbers? I can't. How do you know that? <laughs> I don't know. How do you know that that's the day we met? I don't know. Are you making it up? And also, I thought you were talking about someone else. I didn't think you were talking about me. <laughs> So the next question is, what's the least helpful advice that you've gotten? The least helpful advice. Mine was from my dad. Sorry, dad. It doesn't matter. He doesn't listen to this. The advice from my dad was, because I had a little money. My grandmother passed away and she left me like $35,000 in my 20s. And my dad was like, don't blow it. And so I had, I put it away and I didn't spend it. But what I wanted to do was buy a house. I wanted to put a down payment on a house. And he said, you don't want to do that. You don't want to be a landlord. You don't want to have roommates that you have to get rent from to pay your mortgage. I wish I had bought a house because the housing market right now, I could have sold that house and been just fine. I wish I'd bought that house. Yeah, that is that is awful advice. Maybe he thought I wasn't responsible enough to have a mortgage. Also, you were. You always have been. The person who takes the $35,000 and then saves it, they're already responsible enough to, like, homeown. I would have spent it all. You should have bought that house. I should have bought that goddamn house. But I do want to say that my dad did help us uh, with the down payment for our first, when we bought our first place. So I think that cancels out the bad advice. Thanks, Dad. I don't know what the least helpful advice I've ever been given was. I know what it is. What is it? It's to not turn off your machine because you'll lose your mojo. When I was taught how to tattoo, my mentor wouldn't let us shut off our power supplies because that was where the magic was. If you shut it off, you would lose your mojo. And honestly, like at that point in my career, I really didn't have any mojo. And so I really needed to hang on to it. Like, you have to unplug it. You have to turn it off. It's such a weird take on electricity. That is definitely least some of the least helpful advice I've gotten. Next question is, thoughts on veganism? Do it. Be vegan. Save the world. Save animals. Boom. We're done. Yeah, good food. Excellent poops. Yeah, no bad sides. Perfect. Let's do it. The next question is, does your shop use vegan ink? Yeah, our shop does use vegan ink, but... Also, there are five other artists besides me working there. Yes, I buy a lot of vegan ink for the shop for everyone to use. But if they want to use something specific that maybe no one else does or that I don't want to purchase, they're free to do so. I'm not going to tell them they can't. 
Um, so what our sort of go-to answer is with, you know, when can I come into your shop and get a vegan tattoo? It's like, sure you can, just run it by the artist because they might be using something that isn't. Most likely they aren't. But, you know, we're all very sensitive about it, so... Uh, The next question is um, a bit of a letter, so I'm just going to read it. It says, loving the podcast. I am learning a lot about healthy communication from you both. And of course, so much about the trans community. Also, Jerry's eyebrows, all caps. She is so lucky to have you, Sarah, to help her navigate the world of embracing the perfect full brow. They are fire. I mean, they're all right. They are awesome. And when you wanted to start um, plucking your eyebrows, you wanted like a like a high arch, your eyebrows are already perfect. <laughs> I said, let me just take out a few hairs that were sort of like in the middle of your of your eyelid. And I think I plucked like six eyebrow hairs. And then now you just have this gorgeous brow. But how did you feel when you, when um, I first plucked your eyebrows? I love them. I, I feel like they could be thinner and more arched and a little more femme, but also maybe that's Jamie. Um, oh yeah, maybe that is Jamie. Uh, I love the encouragement, and you know, I get lots of comments all the time. I don't know. That just, I guess, keeps me. Everybody keeps me in it. Everybody who like hyper plucked their brows in the '90s is like Jerry. Don't touch your <laughs> brows because they never come back the same. Yeah. So that takes us to the next question, which is sort of also about your brows. Which is, Yay. I was wondering how Jerry feels about comments directed about her appearance like her statuesque figure, her perfect eyebrows, her always-on-fire fingernails. We all know nobody likes to be objectified, but also genuine compliments can boost your spirits. When I see a photo of Jerry looking radiant, I find myself wanting to comment. Is that okay? I think 100% yes. I have spent my whole life not being noticed and doing my best to not be noticed. When people comment on something that I post when, and they say things about me like my eyebrows or my eyes or my makeup or my fingernails fingernails, or my statuesque figure <laughs> or my long legs. There's a lot of affirmation in all of that stuff. I don't necessarily feel like it's a, I'm being objectified and I certainly don't feel like I'm being diminishing myself down to my appearance. It sucks, but there's a lot of affirmation in the bullshit comments that women receive even if i'm being objectified at this point i'm just happy to be getting some female attention so like when we were riding our bikes the other day and those guys drove by in the car and they're like they fucking wooed us or whatever and you were like oh those fucking guys and and i was just like "Uh oh those guys thought i think i'm a woman like (laughs) It was like, I, I get, I have both of the feelings. It's like, oh, just fucking stop. But also, thank you so much. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it's also, it is about intent. Like, what is the intention? Are you trying to be a, like a, a creep and like woo on someone and be like, hey, 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 wah, wah, wah. Or are you like genuinely giving somebody a compliment about something that they chose to do, like get the, your fingernails done yeah. or whatever, right? So it really is about intention. Yeah. If you don't like what I'm doing, then... Like keep it to yourself. Eat a sandwich. But if you do, <laughs> but if you do like it and you feel like saying something, then please do because it just like makes my day. The next question is: the pandemic made you both realize that you're not neurotypical. I am in the same boat. Would you talk more about this? I just want to say, like, we haven't been diagnosed with anything. We're not experts about any of this. But what the pandemic did was it made us realize that there are some mechanisms in our lives that are not neurotypical. We are as far away from being diagnosed with anything as we possibly could be. Part of me thinks we should do it. And part of me is like, does it matter? We seem to be functioning okay. But for me, what really happened is I just, I've started meeting a lot of neurodivergent trans folks. A lot of them share a lot of memes about their neurodivergences, if that's the word. They all line up with my worldview. There's so much stuff regarding ADHD and executive dysfunction, and they all hit me right in the heart. So I'm sort of meme diagnosed, I guess. I don't know like how I am not typical, but I know that I am not. And I definitely know that you are not. Hey. I mean, because we've talked about it. I know. 
Well, I know for you, uh, and maybe someone can um, tell us more about this, but I know, like, say we have a day off and we have plans and we're going to do A, B, and C. And then I say to you, actually, we have to do C first. Sometimes there's a little bit of a meltdown because you have already organized it in your brain that we're going to do A, B, C. Yeah. And doing it C, A, B is like... That's, not- a, that's not how I've planned it. Right. Yeah. And then what have you noticed about me? You have a tendency to start projects and leave piles and then move to another project. And then halfway through that project, remember the other project, go back to that. But on the way to that project, see like a pot that you were working on. So then you just like eek over to that one. And now you've got three things on the go. Has it always been like that? Or is it just pandemic, Sarah? No, always. Hmm. It's just because we are in such close quarters all the time now, because I'm not going to work every day. It's really become apparent I don't know. Here's the other thing is I'm working from home, reporting all the phone calls from the tattoo shop to the house. So I'm answering the phone all day. So I am working on something in the kitchen and then the phone rings and it takes me into the office. I do the tattoo thing that I need to do. And then all of a sudden I'm at the computer and I'm like, oh yeah, I need to update that thing on the social media for the shop. I do that. And then the next thing I know, I'm sucked into Facebook. And then a half an hour later, I walk out into the living room and I'm like, oh shit, I was working on that thing. I start working on that. The phone rings again. (laughs) So it's, it is, it has been a challenge. I know. And then you're like, I have to pee and you go to the bathroom. You're like, I didn't put away the laundry. Exactly. (laughs) It it has been a challenge. And then the other thing that I've noticed, uh, which I, I, I always have known that I've had this superpower. Like when I have to get something done, I like super focus in and I work until it's done. I'm a completionist, even though I have all these piles. I am going to work on this website and I'm going to finish it. And I do. And sometimes I am sitting at the computer for eight hours and I have not urinated or eaten any lunch. It's not, it's not great to do that. Yeah. I also think it's like a very classic trait. For ADHD? I think, I don't exactly know what it's for, but it seems very, it's very typically neurodivergent. Anyway, we don't have to diagnose ourselves right now. No, we absolutely do not. I know you're not supposed to say I have a little bit of X, Y, Z. Yeah. But I definitely do feel like I have some sort of learning difference that was never diagnosed. And it's part of the reason why I think I did not do very well in school. And when I was training um, to work at the Y, they make you take all these classes. And I had full on meltdowns. About I was there. I know. About having to do tests and about having to do those classes I just had this big block about it. And then I did really well. I got like 98 on all my tests. And I was like, I did really well. I was so proud of myself. And it just made me, it made me remember how bad school was for me because the teachers would always say to my dad, like she has lots of potential and she's not utilizing it. Yeah. But really what it was is I think someone just needed to teach me differently because I'm a visual learner. And um, when someone talks at me or just like throws me, like a bunch of paragraphs, it's not how I learn. If you show me how to do it, then I know how to do it forever. But I didn't learn that until I was an adult. Actually, I learned that at the Y training was it because part of being doing the training to be a teacher was that they teach you all the different kinds of learning that people do so that you know how to do that when you're teaching someone. The different types that they taught us when I was doing the teacher training at the Y is there's visual learners, that's me, auditory learners. That is not me. You can talk until you're blue in the face and I cannot (laughs) pick up what you're putting down. Then there's hands-on learners. That's also me. And reading and writing learners. And that is not me. That's me. Yeah. We are very different that way. Sometimes you'll be describing something to me and you're like, and we're going to do it like this. And it's 16 tenths and there's four fifths of the foot. And I just like, my eyes just glaze over. And I, and what do I always say to you? Draw me a picture. Draw me a picture. And then you do, and then we're good to go. Yeah, I'll make a little model. So anyway, knowing that about myself, um, it just it just helps. What I would like to know is if any if there's any listeners out there who are adult neurodivergent people, did you go and search out a diagnosis as an adult? And if you did, did it help you? The next question is Hello, wonderful ladies. That's us. I love it. I've listened to the entirety of your amazing podcast, and there are so many pieces that have stuck with me. One being the one-touch strategy you use for procrastination. I have struggled with procrastination my entire life and could not find a strategy to help me manage my tasks and anxiety at the same time. 
One touch has changed the way I accomplish what I need. And I totally yell one touch out loud and it gives me enough reinforcement to make my impossible task less scary. So thank you. Wow. That's so great. So one touch is not ours. It belongs to our friend Laurel who came up with it and we use it all the time. I did it the other, I did it today. I was like, oh, I got to do a social media post for Tattoo Zoo. Uh, I'm going to eat lunch first. And I was like, no, one touch it. So I did, I did the post. And then I yelled, one touch. And you are doing it during the podcast. You're writing notes for our Instagram. And I'm and you're like, I have to do this or I'm going to forget. And That's it's like, true. one touch. One touch. Thank you, Laurel. I think you should get that um, trademarked or something. Yeah, that's a, that's a book. That's a whole self-help book. Oh, next question is a funny one. Uh, Jerry's birthday is on Halloween like mine. What was your experience of a Halloween birthday as a child? And how did it change as you grew up? I always kind of felt like it was kind of a bummer. Yeah, you have to share your birthday with a holiday. You share your birthday with a holiday. And everyone is always like, well, there's always a party. And it's like, sure, there's always a party that's not for me. (laughs) Like, cool. Did you have like Halloween themed birthdays? I don't know. I don't think so. A lot of my like childhood birthday parties, when I see the photos of them, because I would have it the Saturday before Halloween or because you can't have it on Halloween because no one's going to come to your fucking party because they're all going out to get candy. So I would always have my birthday on a different date. So just so kids would come. The thing that I think is funny about your birthday is like if we're at a bank or you're giving your birth date to like a nurse at a doctor's office, you'll say October 31st. And everybody always says, oh, Halloween, fun. (laughs) And then you're like, I guess. (laughs) So super fun. Um, And then the next question um, in regards to Halloween is what are you going to be for Halloween this year? Maybe not this year, but you know, in the future, I think that I'm going to probably do a sexy something because oh. I never got to. Like and you're going to be like a like a slutty nurse or a- sure something. Why? Like I should, right? Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it right now. <laughs> anyway, next question is. Oh, this is for you, Jerry. Will you ever have to go through some kind of menopause like Sarah? (laughs) Or do you get to ride estrogen and progesterone into the sunset? There will be no menopause for me. You bitch. I'm sorry. I will be riding estrogen and progesterone into the sunset, I guess. If God forbid something happens and I can't take estrogen, then, well, testosterone is a fucking hell of a drug and it will eradicate all the hard work that we've done with these hormones. So hopefully I will never have to stop taking them. Next one is, Jerry, have you noticed misogyny towards your ladiness yet? Have you had to deal with general dickery at the car place or at the bank or somebody mansplaining? Yes, I've noticed some misogyny. I have noticed it a little bit in the shop. It's just it's just happened like a couple of different folks that have come through. I'm not noticing it outside in the real world. I think that that's because, and this is Jamie, I'm not super femme presenting. Oh my uh, God, Jamie, get out of here. You're not allowed in the podcast. Jesus fucking Christ. I just think. No, you know what it is? Stop. Stop. I think that if someone is being misogynistic to you or whatever, that you just internalize it as transphobic. Um, Because you don't feel like you're trans enough yet. um, And also we don't go out very much anymore. So we haven't really had a chance to have that yet. We haven't. But we did have someone call us ladies. That's true. We went to Costco and everybody had their masks on. I think we were, were you dressed up or were you just wearing? No, I don't. I generally don't dress too them to go to Costco. But anyway, we walked over to the to the cashier and he was like, hello, ladies, how's your day? And then I, I looked at you and my eyes went, oh, so big. that was early on in your transition. Yeah. It was pretty exciting. That was, a, that was a nice moment. But so no, I haven't noticed it outside of the real world yet. And also, I'm not going to sit back and let them be super misogynistic at a car place because <laughs> uh, I know more than they do. So they can eat a sandwich. The thing that I've noticed now that you've come out is that uh, I don't know how to say this without sounding mean and I don't want to insult any men who are listening, but I feel like before your transition, 
I would always say, well, not all men are like that. And now I'm finding that a lot of men are like that because I'm looking at everything with different lenses now because I had always used you as the, well, look, not all men are like this. Look at Jerry, but you're a woman. And so I am finding sometimes when I'm having conversations with the men in my life, that I'm now seeing more of the toxic masculinity. I'm seeing it in a way I'd never saw it before. I think my patience for that stuff is was a lot higher than it, it is now. And that has a lot to do with your transition. I've also like do not put up with fuckery anymore, but I definitely feel like your transition has helped me transition to have better boundaries with the people around me. That is awesome. And that really brings you into the next question. What is it? Have you noticed that you don't actually like all the people? <laughs> That's what's happened to me this year. Energy vampires out. Yeah. I've actually had to cut some dead wood from my tree because I don't got time for that shit anymore. I don't know what it is. I feel like every time something major happens in my life, I always use this as an opportunity to make some positive changes. Um, with your transition too, it's like what I've noticed is that I've always been a people pleaser and now I just want to live my life for me, just like how you're living your best life for you. Yeah. And because of that, I'm now putting down boundaries that people in my life are not comfortable with and they're pushing back because they don't like it because I'm always the one who fixes stuff. And I am now saying no, I'm now saying that doesn't work for me because I want to live my life for me. And so some of those people cannot deal with it. And I've had to cut people out because I'm not your mom. <laughs> I'm not your therapist. Like I have to do what's best for me. It doesn't mean that I don't love you. And it doesn't mean that I'm not here for you. And it doesn't mean that I don't support you. It just means I don't need to carry all your baggage. You need to carry your own suitcase because I got to carry mine. I love it. That was a rant. It was great. Can I also say that when you said the thing about mom and therapist and doctor, you're reading it off of a post-it note on your computer, which I, I love that you have because it's like this beautiful reminder for you when you get worked up about something, you just can focus on this little... I do. I have the sticky note. It says, I'm not your mom. I'm not your therapist. Do what is best for me. Because I, I do it. have a really hard time sometimes, especially with people that I've had relationships with, not people now. I come at people now with the, the person that I am now. But when you have older relationships with people that you've known your whole life or even just family members, it's very easy to fall back into old patterns. Um, and so this sticky note <laughs> is here to remind me. I love it. Of the mess you made <laughs> when you went away. Actually, uh, it was my brother. My brother really helped mm -hmm. me with this. I was talking to him um, about a problem I was having and he he said these things, you're not their mom. Yeah. <laughs> so I wrote them down. So thank you, Ben. Next question is, when your shop shifted to start being more vocal and visually inclusive, um, how was that received by the tattoo industry? You mentioned it was received well by the public, but have you heard from other artists or shops? That's a really neat question. My immediate answer is like, no, no one has supported us. No one's come forward. None of the people, but what I'm actually saying is none of the people from our past have said, this is really cool. I love that you're doing this. There have been a lot of younger and newer and queer tattooers who have reached out to us and said, we love this. And that's really affirming. When I, when I hear the question, that's my, ex my answer to received by the tattoo industry. No, it wasn't. In my head, like I have a list of people in shops that have not said anything or have not supported me. But there's a new list growing of shops yeah. and people across, like across the country and across America, like in Europe. And those are people who I'm reaching out to or who are reaching out to me. You know, I feel like I don't belong with them because I, I don't know. Tell Jamie <laughs> he is not allowed in this podcast. Honestly, I'm going to pinch you the next time that you do that. But what I'm saying is like, I have those feelings, but I know what they are. Of course. It has been well received by, or the people who do reach out and sort of say, hey, we heard that you did this and we think it's great. 
it's an amazing community and I'm so excited to be a part of it. And there is so much happening in that side of tattooing that I have honestly been ignoring for the last 10 years, which shame on me because... But you were very busy hiding in the closet. Yeah. You did not have time to reach out. I, that's you true. were very busy. I had time to notice. You were so busy being closeted. Well, it takes a lot of energy. Listen, there's some wonderful stuff happening in tattooing. Yeah. It's just not happening in the shops I thought it would happen in. Well, the other thing that happened too is that the shops that we thought would be in touch weren't. And so we have let them go yeah. from our thoughts. Yeah. There's been disappointing um, silence from people that we thought would be supportive. And then on the other side of that, there's just been all these new people bubbling up who think like us and work like us. And it's really exciting. And it's kind of invigorated you as a longtime tattooer. I feel like I feel like you're more jazzed about tattooing now than you ever have been. And that's amazing. I am. I'm so into it. I have never felt the way that I do right now about tattooing. It's like, it was always, it's always been a really great job for me, but it's, it's a dream right now. And then that leads us to our next question. How has coming out been working as a trans artist? Amazing. It's been the best. Coming out, being trans, knowing that everyone who's coming in to see me already knows and I don't have to like worry about it. It has opened me up in a, such a way. I'm finding so much, I guess, joy or satisfaction in the parts of the job that I've always kind of loved. I've always loved doing cover-ups. I've always loved like helping people with the things that they need finished or that somebody else doesn't want to work on. I've always enjoyed this like collaborative reclaiming of body parts. Coming out as trans has really helped me discover how I feel about my body and the parts of it that I wish I could reclaim. And it's what's really opened up this like exchange between people where I can really kind of get behind it. And, you know, you want me to work on this thing because this guy was kind of a dick when he did it. Let me do it. Like, I don't care. Let's make it great. Well, also there's this thing, I think we talked about it in the tattoo episode about the tattooer is always right and you have to do what they want and they're the artists and you you don't you don't get really a lot of input. But really what we've been trying to um, um, let our customers know is like, this is your body. You get to decide what's going on on it and, and how that's going to happen. I'm going to use my expertise to steer you in a lot of the uh, technical side of the yeah, job. Yeah, because sometimes because the design that someone wants might not necessarily translate into a tattoo. Yes, but... There's always a solution. I'm really enjoying being being open about that and being more interested in people and the collaborative process and the part where I'm working with another person. I get asked all the time what kind of styles I like working in. And I like working in styles that I can work in. And there's a couple of them. There's a bunch. What I really love is working with people that connect with me because when we connect, we create amazing stuff. When I've done tattoos that I haven't been satisfied with, it's always been the connection. The connection hasn't been there. And it's really hard for me to bring my whole self into the room if we are not vibing. And that's why you do a consultation process and all that stuff too. Yeah. And I, I listen to you when you do your consultations and you always say to them, like, I, I'm going to send you a rough draft. I want you to look at it. I want you to give me, tell me what you don't, what you like, but especially tell me what you don't like. I will not be offended if you say that you don't like something because this is a collaboration. I want to know so that I can make you the best tattoo possible. I, when I listen to you say that, I just think this is amazing. You're amazing. Uh -huh. This is another question. In a previous episode, you talked about grief for family members or spouses at losing the person that they once knew when they transition. Uh, it was only touched on briefly and it really stuck with me. I would love to know a little more about that. By the way, yours is the first podcast I've ever listened to. Thank you. <laughs> I've actually heard that a lot. A lot of people have written in and said, I've never listened to a podcast before. What? It's awesome. Uh, we did talk briefly about the fact that I felt like I needed a second to kind of grieve the fact that I'd lost my husband, even though I was so happy for you that you wanted to transition. And then we went for a walk that night and we kind of talked about it a little more. And I said, I felt like we needed to talk about it more because we just kind of touched on it. Yeah. Because what I felt like what happened was 
I said that you cut me off and then very intensely talked about how what I was saying was not, was bullshit. And that you felt like I shouldn't have those feelings because when trans people come out, it's wonderful and amazing. And you're not losing, you're not losing that person. So there's no one to grieve. And I agree, I agreed with what you were saying, but I also felt like there needs to be a little bit of space for that feeling of maybe feeling like I need to grieve. And maybe that grieving doesn't need to happen in front of you. And maybe that grieving doesn't need to be part of our conversation. But I do feel like it needs to be acknowledged that maybe sometimes people do feel like they need to grieve. Grief is important. Yeah. I mean, I hear that. What was your experience when I said that? And that makes sense when you said the thing about grieving. The thing about grieving the loss of your husband is it, you, it's it's like you're grieving something that never was. Yeah. And I I find that the that the association with grief and loss is negative. Mm-hmm. It's this horrible thing has happened. I have lost my husband. The conversation often is about that. I've lost my daughter. I've lost my son. Right. And it's never about, I've gained a wife. I've gained a son. I've gained a daughter. What is important to remember is that you didn't lose a husband. I didn't change. I just opened up. Mm -hmm. And so the person that you loved is the shadow of who I am. I mean, if you want to grieve for that shadow, then I guess you can. But the whole person is in front of you. Yeah. And so it seems like I don't need to be a part of that. I think at one point when we were talking about it, I said to you, I don't feel like it's like I'm grieving the loss of my husband. I think I was grieving the loss of my expectations of what the next 50, 60, 70 years of my life were going to... I mean, I probably won't live that long, but I had this this idea of what our life was going to be like. We were in our 50s and we were going to do this and that and this and the other. And then your transition just sort of pulled the rug out a little bit. And it doesn't mean that it's bad. Yeah, It's just going to be different yeah. Than what I expected. And I was just in a really comfortable space and I felt uncomfortable. And I think the grief part was not so much for me, the feeling of needing to grieve a little bit is just the loss of my expectation. I think acknowledging that I needed to grieve for just a second so that I we could just like move forward and, and be happy because I love the Jerry that you are now. I do not want to go back my wife is amazing. Is that bad? No, no, not at all. I think your feelings are super valid. And I think that the way you're expressing them, you're being super clear and I totally get it. The thing that I get hung up on is that I don't want to be responsible for normalizing that language. Yeah. Because I think it is often used in a very hateful sense. I get that. And there are a lot of trans kids whose parents grieve the loss of their old version for the rest of their lives. Yeah. And and I don't think it's fair. I think that that language shifts the focus in a way that, and it changes the like the positive outcome. It's a very transphobic viewpoint because it makes the whole thing bad. Rather than using the word grief, is there a better verbiage that I could have used? I wish I knew. can't sort of come up with a way to make what you say sound positive about transition. This is going to sound ridiculous, but when we lived on Dean Street, you traded in our 1962 Chevy Bel Air for uh, like a fairly brand new used truck. 1997 Chevy S10. Okay. And you just, you came home one day and you said, I bought a new truck. And I was like, what? And you're like, look at this beautiful truck that I got. And I lost it because I didn't get to say goodbye to the Chevy Bel Air. And I love that car. And so we drove to the lot so that I could go take a picture with it and say goodbye and say thank you. That's how I feel about when you transition. It just, I didn't get a chance to say goodbye. Yeah. Even though I know you're still here. Because I didn't leave. I know that. Yeah. But it's that same feeling of like, oh. I, 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 I don't, you don't ha- have to because I totally understand what you're saying. 
Like I, I just really, think I think there's a better way to describe it. I just, I just at this time I don't have the words for it. Yeah, that's why I just I think jumped on it in that podcast episode. the The vibe of the language is negative, and I feel like it's hurtful, and I don't want to perpetuate it. Yeah. And I know you don't either. No. But of course your feelings are valid. Like if- I, d- I did feel a little diminished when we were talking about it because I never really got a chance to fully express myself. I could, But I could see that it was something that was really hurtful for you. So I just stopped. And right. then when we tried to talk about it later when we were walking the dog... Um, it didn't. It didn't get any better. Right. <laughs> so we just sort of left it. But I'm glad we got a chance to talk about it. Yeah, because we like. It's just going to naturally come to an impasse because we don't. I feel like we don't know enough about language to come up with words for to describe what you're feeling. Yeah. The way that I'm saying it is definitely coming across like I'm trying to just negate the way you're feeling, which is not, no. my, not my intention, of course. I do think that the way you feel is super valid. You did not get a chance to say goodbye to my beard. It yeah. just like, it just disappeared. It's never coming back. There's like a little bit of sadness to that, but it feels like Jamie. I think one of the things that you said at when we were walking the dog was like, it's okay if you feel like you need to grieve. I just don't need to be a part of it because it would be like me saying, I really miss your breasts. Yeah, I did say that. And then when you said that, a little bell in my head went ding. And I was like, I would be crushed if you said to me, you know what? I'm feeling kind of low. I miss your breasts. It would crush me. And so when you said that, I, I totally get it. I think it is okay to have those feelings. Yeah. But it maybe is not okay to share those feelings with the trans person who is in transitioning. Yes. Because that is your own stuff that you need to work out with your therapist, not with your partner or your trans friend or your trans daughter or whatever. Yes. Oh, we solved it. <laughs> I love it. I thought you were going to high five me there. Oh, Sure. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. I'm sure we're going to talk about it again. And we would love to hear if any of you have a different way of explaining what we're talking about. Yeah, or if we're totally wrong. Yes, we would love to know that as well. I don't think think I'm wrong. (laughs) I mean, that's the cool thing about this whole transition has been, you've always been a very black and white person. I, to a certain extent as well. And so being challenged with our internal monologues has been interesting because sometimes I'll I'll just be like, no, it's not like that. It's like this. Of course, it's always been that way. And then I'm like, oh God, wait a second. Take a breath. Let's look at it with different lenses. Oh shit, I was wrong. Yeah. You know, it's been a fascinating, fantastic journey. And I am so happy to be here with you. And I can't wait to see more. So our last question, we're going to end on, somebody wants to know what our three top pet peeves are. I, what are my pet peeves? Gosh, can you go first so I get an idea? Well, right now, people who don't get vaccinated are number one <laughs> on my pet peeve list. Stop reading junk science on the internet and go get your fucking vaccine so that we can have herd immunity and get back to going to concerts in the theater and hugging each other. Jesus fucking Christ. My second pet peeve is, um, it's about sound. I'm very sound sensitive and I don't like it when people bring music to the beach because it's a public area and there's lots of people there and not everyone is going to enjoy you listening to Ariana Grande. Don't play loud music at the beach or in the park, even from your house with your doors open so that I can hear it when I'm in my backyard, neighbor. So far, your pet peeves are people. (laughs) Yeah. Are there other pet peeves? I don't know. Those didn't help me. I don't know. Do you know what my pet peeves are? Jerry, you know what your pet peeves are. Can you give me a hint? Okay, let's think about work. People who don't come to work on time and leave their customers waiting. If you have an appointment, be there for your appointment. Is that hard? Is that a hard ask? Because you're always there early. A customer comes in, this is pre-pandemic, and then you're like, I'm sorry they're not here yet. I'm sure they'll be here any minute. And then that person is just sitting there staring at you, waiting for their tattooer to show up. Yeah. And then it's five after, and then it's 10 after, and you're like, can I get you anything? Are you okay? I'm sure they'll be here any minute. So basically, they're making you do extra work. Yeah. So my, really, my top pet peeve is people who make me do extra work. The second one would be people who drink half a coffee and then just leave it. 
Like, why? Why do you leave it? Why don't you finish it? You just you just drink part of it and then you stop and then it's just there and it's cold. It's okay, Jerry. It's okay. What's your third one? My third one, I don't know. It's really, I have a real hard time with it. I don't like how jeans are like high rise, but they're not quite high enough. Like they're either high rise past your belly button, which is too high, or they're high rise, but just under your belly button, which is too far. I would love it if they could come up with a jean height that is like perfect for my body type. Also, I don't like it when people touch my belly button, put their (laughs) finger in my belly button. I don't like to be tickled. I don't like it when I'm trying on clothes at a store and they say, can I help you? And I'll say, no, I'm good in here. And then they come back again and they say, do you need anything? And I'm like, no, I'm fine. I'll let you know. And then they come back again. I know they're just doing their job, but I've told you what I wanted and I would like it to be respected. It's just people. I don't like people. It's just people. I love people, but not all people. I have a pet peeve about my dad and I'm going to say it because I know he's not listening. Well, one, my pet peeve is that my dad has never said anything about the podcast. I don't think he's listening to the podcast. And I would love to know what he thought about the podcast. And I hope he is listening to the podcast because I think it's an opportunity for him to learn more about you in a way that I don't think he would by having a conversation. Mm -hmm. And I'm really bummed that he's probably not listening to the podcast. But if he is listening to the podcast, my pet peeve about my dad is when he asks me a question and then he doesn't listen to the answer. He'll say, tell me about your day. And as I'm talking, he'll turn to talk to someone else in the middle of my sentence. That's my number one pet peeve. Yeah, I love you, dad, but... If you want to ask me a question, I feel like you should want to know the answer. I also don't like loud chewing. <laughs> my third <gasps> people my, talking no, in a movie. My third pet peeve. It's about you. Oh no. But it's so sweet. Oh god. And it relates to talking during a movie where you ask me what's happening in the movie <laughs> seconds before that thing is about to be explained. <laughs> That's true. I do do that. Every time. I do. You'll say, who is that guy? What? Why? Why did he just say that? And I'll say, I don't know. I think they're going to explain it. And And then the next line is like, hey, this guy just said this thing because of this. Drives me crazy. Don't clip your nails in public. Also, if you're going to have a phone conversation with someone in public, don't be really loud. I don't need to hear the whole story about your aunt's surgery. Keep it down. I want to, I want to add in then, like put a, Put it on speakerphone because if I can hear both sides. Yeah, it might be more interesting, actually. Sarah doesn't like it when people talk about themselves in the third person. (laughs) (laughs) I should stop talking because I'm becoming very unlikable. All right, let's go for a walk. I guess Jerry's over it. No, we're finished. So thanks so much. This was so much fun. And the fun part about this is that we didn't really have to do any work. We just had to read your questions and then just answer them. Thank you for supporting our podcast and for leaving five-star reviews. It helps us with our visibility and engagement. Keep telling your friends about our podcast and please like or subscribe or whatever it is that you need to do on the platform that you use to listen to us. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Goodbye. This episode brought to you by Gavin Stacy. Wait, no, he's our sound engineer. <laughs> You're not listening anymore anyway. Bye.